Good morning, afternoon, and evening to listeners of the Wake Up and Lead podcast. I'm your host, Hampton Dorsch, and I have a very quick update for you about my guest today. So Maggie Malone, one of the most incredible people that I have ever met. I'm so glad you get to learn and hear from her today. At the time of this recording, um, she was my coworker. She worked with me at Wilds Park. She worked there for over three years. She and I got there around the same time, but she's got a ton of big things going on in her life. She doesn't live in Birmingham anymore. She lives in Nebraska, which is where she's training for the next Olympics, where she's going to win the gold. But with a lot of different circumstances going on in her life, she needed to transition and is no longer actually working at WildSpark. I think just for recording's sake, she will be back with us one day after she wins the gold. But just wanted to update you because in this episode, I do say that she does work with me. But stay tuned. You're going to learn so much from Maggie. She's an incredible person. It's time for you and me to wake up and lead. So there are few, few, few people that can make the claim that they work and talk with almost daily in Olympian. Um, and this person that I have as guest is so much more than an Olympian. She's an amazing person. Even if she wasn't and you didn't even know it, people still think she's amazing, but it's kind of sick that she's an Olympian. And we're going to talk all about that today. Maggie Malone, welcome to the show. I love it. My Enneagram 3 is like lighting up right now that you're like, <laughs> it's not about the accomplishments, but also the accomplishments are great. <laughs> well, I want to be careful because it's like, it's you, like it's like you are an Olympian, but that's not like... Yeah. who you are, you know, and I know that. Absolutely. So, yeah. But anyways, thank you for joining me. Um, Maggie has been on um, my team at Wild Spark, or we've been on the same team for a little bit while now, been here a couple of years and have learned a ton from her. And um, I would love to, to really just jump into some of your story and see where it takes us. Um, wh- I mean, so you're an Olympian. What, what, what do you do in the Olympics? I throw the javelin, so I chuck spears, um, <laughs> and did not know what a javelin was until I was about 19. So had a little bit of time in my youth to do volleyball and basketball and track and pretty much everything, and then was recruited to the University of Nebraska to be a heptathlete. So that's about seven different events. And I think they thought that I was going to be like my mom because she was a great heptathlete. She's at Nebraska, was a, um, is in the Hall of Fame. But I'm built like my dad, who was an offensive tackle. So it just gives you an idea of, of the build. Um, so ended up learning the javelin as one of the seven events. And the coach that he came to a volleyball practice of mine, actually, and, was, and told my mom, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to do with her, but I know that we want her. And I'm so thankful for him and I'm so thankful for him to take a chance on me because he truly changed my life and brought me into a sport and to a life that I never thought even existed, to be honest. So that's how I got into javelin. Wow. Um, yeah. And was just, uh, I guess, God's plan for my life. The most obscure gift to give somebody, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're using it for his glory, which is amazing, and we def I definitely want to talk about that. So, um, if you're listening to this and you have an opportunity to give somebody a shot or you see some potential in someone, do it. And then if somebody comes to you and says, "I see this in you," even if you don't believe them, trust them. Go for it. You know, and you did that. So, so you went to Nebraska, and then te- what, what happened from there? Yeah, it's so funny, too, when you say that, because I had such a negative 
connotation of throwers, the word thrower, because I was a jumper and a sprinter. My mom was my coach. So I trained as like a, a multi vendor or excuse me, as a, a mid distance runner. So I'd run the 400, the 200. And so I just had this thought of like throwers, they don't work that hard. Like they just eat all the time with these like big people. And then when my coach would tell me, like, I think you're going to be a javelin thrower. I was open, but I was still kind of like, I don't know, like I'm a multi, like, let me prove it to you. And I totally agree with you where if somebody says, I see potential in this specific area and I want to help you in that, I think the best thing you can say is like, I'm open. I'm open to learning. I'm open to trying. And, you know, there's so many stories of javelin throwers specifically who came from like baseball or volleyball or something and became really good javelin throwers. So a lot of stories around that. But essentially after I was at Nebraska, um, total God thing, but my family who was in Nebraska as well, they uh, moved to College Station, Texas, which is where Texas A&M is. And my dad's a football coach. He basically got poached to come coach football there and had always been when we were growing up. Um, and so the same week that he did that, and this was after my freshman year, my coach who said, hey, I want to take a shot on you, said, hey, Maggie, great season. I also want to let you know I got an opportunity to take a job at Texas A&M. And if you are willing to ever take a visit, there's a spot for you. And I just felt like God was completely moving me and my whole family there. And um, so after my sophomore year, I transferred to Texas A&M. This is before the transfer portal. So this is when you actually had to sit down with the coach and ask for a release and have a business conversation, which we could get to later. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this was during the time where you had to sit across the table and basically make a case for yourself for why you wanted to leave. So ended up leaving and I was at A&M, my junior and senior years of eligibility. And then I ended up getting my master's there also. Well, (laughs) and, and let's rewind here for a second. Maggie's parents moved to college station, which is, you know, she loves them and is really close to them and maybe wanted to be with them. But then the coach that got her into javelin said, Oh, Hey, I got a job here too. Um, I, I love what you said. It's like, I think, I think God was, yeah, God was doing something there. <laughs> totally doing something. And then, and he was coaching me again. He was a multi-event coach. So he was coaching pole vault and, you know, Javelin was like an event he was okay at, but not great. And so he said to me, he said, Maggie, and I think you should look at who the Javelin coach is at Texas A&M. And cause he wasn't going to coach me there because at this point I was just going to be Javelin. And so I looked it up. His name's Juan de la Garza, Chico. Everybody knows him as Chico. And he said, um, he, and basically he was a two-time Olympian himself, has had numerous national champions, has had, um, you know, multiple Olympians in the javelin also. And so just to see like, wow, I get to work with this guy. It just kind of was, again, I think God was lining up all these dots. Yeah. That's amazing the way that that was all orchestrated. So I want to keep hearing the rest of your story, but let's hit pause for a second. Um, tell me about that conversation with a few college coaches about just what they're seeing today with um, this this younger generation, if you will. Yeah, so I have an opportunity to work and get to talk to a lot of different college coaches, um, SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, really anything you can think of, uh, different sports too, so not just track and field. And you know, something that was really interesting to me lately because of the work I do with Wildspark is 
this new generation of employee or this new generation of worker. And so I've been asking coaches the same question, but phrasing it in, you know, tell me what is it like with this new generation of athlete? And the most common, I would say almost every time I've talked to them, two, two things come up of um, this generation of athlete, which is um, their work ethic is non-existent and the um, perseverance piece. So when adversity comes, they generally quit. So two things that you're like, this is the, like, supposed to be the, the markers of an elite athlete. These college coaches are saying these two things were like gone from what we used to have with athletes and in and, and our coaching. And so what they're facing now is how do we get into the mindset of these athletes to get them to work hard, to get them to persevere and to see potential and not quit at the first sight of adversity? Golly, that's, that is crazy that even some of these athletes are at the highest level are, are doing these things. And I think what's interesting is like, you have to have an enormous amount of talent to yeah. find yourself in that position. Yes. But what we've seen from the best athletes in the world, it is a, it's the combo of talent and hard work in order to really be successful. Um, what, I mean, do you have any idea of like where that's coming from? Is it like social media I, or technology or something? Yeah. Or I mean, I have my ideas. I'm sure that hopefully somebody or some organization is doing research on this, but um, from the conversations I've had and just my own thought, I think social media is a huge piece of that instant gratification. Now you're able to have these NIL deals and you're making money and you're making money, not based on your performance. You're making money based on your looks or, um, your following. And so it's different and it's a different motivator, right? Like I could have a crappy practice and yet I'm still making $100,000 because I'm posting for these brands. So whereas before where we would care like, man, you know, what do I need to do to make these changes to become a national champion, to be an SEC champion, to break this record? I think it's just a different mentality and different motivator. I'd also say it, there's this like, in, there's this enablement culture around college athletics too. And I think one of the worst things that they did was the transfer portal. I really do. And the idea behind it in my, what I've heard or what I've researched is that, you know, there were some negative situations with coaches and having those conversations, maybe in an abusive situation or, you know, whatever it is, they were trying to make it easier for athletes to exit out of a situation that maybe was unhealthy or toxic. What that actually did was create a, you know, this word has come up a lot, the quiet quitting it created a quiet quitting culture. Wow, that was hard to say. <laughs> um, but essentially, that's what it is. Now, you don't have to have a conversation with somebody across the table and say, here are the reasons I want to leave. And here's where I want to go and make a case for yourself. Now, you can just enter it, not even talk to your coach, who's already given you and budgeted out money to you, towards your education, towards your scholarship, who they could be giving to somebody else, but now we're not even going to have that conversation. So now I'm out of pocket on that financial, um, what I'm giving you as an athlete, and then you're gone in two months. If you look at the transfer portal, I saw something the other day, and it was like three times the size of, or, of entries than it was three years ago. And I think that's a huge, like, that's an indicator right there. 
That's a huge indicator. Golly. And yeah. I just, I just thought of something while you said this, I think, um, Sometimes it feels easier to not have that conversation to break mm -hmm. up with somebody over text or, you know, oh quit yeah. your, yeah. But I mean, cause, cause a lot of us are not athletes at this level. So how can we make this relatable to you? It's like to, to quit something and, um, not, you know, really take ownership for why you're doing it or not have a yeah. really difficult adult conversation. I think what's interesting though, is like, if I think we all desire to, to lead people one day, a lot of us do mm -hmm. on this podcast, I'm talking about how do you lead yourself? One of the things I think you can do is go, step up and have whatever conversation is your life you need to have. Because here's the thing. One day, if you are leading an organization or a group of people, somebody has to have the conversation. Yeah. The, the coach, the coach has to have tough conversations. Yeah. So you're capping yourself if yeah. you're not getting comfortable doing the hard thing. Absolutely. Uh, and we're robbing them of these situations where they have to, go, they have to go through that. You're robbing these kids of skill sets that they're going to have to acquire and develop um, when they get into the real world, which is why I'm so thankful for coach Henry. He's the head coach of Te Texas A&M. Um, a few things that he did and, and does as a coach, which makes him one of the, I think he's either the winningest coach in track and field or one of the winningest coach. Like he's right up there. And a few things that he did that I think prepared me to be a, you know, businesswoman and also a, a, a somebody who can work in a lot of different areas and be professional is one, every competition that we would go to, he called it a business trip. And we were required to dress up in, didn't have to be business clothes, but it was dress up. A lot of institutions, a lot of schools will just say, go in your sweats, go in this, go in whatever. We were required, like, guys were in suits. Like, we were in, like, dresses and nice outfits and it, because it was a business trip and we were professional when we traveled. So in the airport or on the bus, you were required to do that. Second thing that I love that he did um, was the team culture. Everything was about the team. How many points could you score, Maggie Malone, for the team so that we could win an SEC championship, that we could win an NCAA championship? It was never just about me individually. It is a team culture. We are all a part of this system and hopefully we can go in and win. And, and he was so great at creating that culture of, of winning together. And I think right now what we're seeing is a total individualistic culture in a lot of these colleges and a lot of these teams because of social media, because of the things we've already talked about, but it's a me, me, me culture versus a we, we, we culture. So that was the second thing he did. And the third, which at the time I hated, it was so scary to do this. But if you wanted to increase your scholarship at the end of the year, you had to schedule a meeting with Coach Henry, sit across from him in person at a table and make a case for why you wanted the money. Basically, you're in negotiations. Why you deserved the amount of money showing, you know, the work that you've done, the results that you've had and having that information to say, well, here's why I think I deserve that. Can we have a conversation? Doesn't always go your way, but just to have that conversation, I mean, that is a skill set that not everybody has and you definitely don't know how to do when you're 19 years old. 
Golly, that is, I mean, that's incredible leadership from your coach right yeah. there. Those three things of just, of how are you presenting yourself and the way that you're um, showing up to things. Um, the second one, oh, what was the second one? That one was so good. Team, the team culture. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The team culture thing. I think that's, that's how, how can we as a listener who may not be an athlete take that to wherever you are? Maybe you're in college or maybe you're, you know, uh, a couple of years into working. Mm-hmm. The more you can be others focused, the better it's going to be. If you're a team player, team over self, it is going to go a really long way. So I love that. And then even just being able to sit down and say, here's the work that I've put in um, and here's why I think I deserve this. I think that um, is helping keep us from an entitlement culture. And and I think a lot of us are entitled today. Um, Absolutely. And I just think that he has, he, I mean, he's a, he's a businessman. Like he treats the job like a, a business leader, like a CEO. And I think again, maybe one of the worst things that the NCAA did was they put into place a, uh, I don't know if it's a law or a rule, but they cannot cut scholarships once they've been given, which in my head, I get why they were doing it at first. There's, there's some circumstances. If you're injured, if you get seriously injured and you can't compete, yeah, I don't want my scholarship taken away because I can't perform because of what I just was trying to accomplish. However, if you're not performing and you're not coming to, to practice and you're not putting in the effort just like any business, just like anything in life, you should not still earn the same amount as what you were doing. And any other business, you'd be fired. You'd be cut for not performing and for not putting in the effort. Now, if I give you a full scholarship as a freshman, and let's say that for the next three years, you don't perform, you give minimal effort at practice, and you're a toxic person towards the team, you still get that full ride scholarship. And I can't do anything about that. Yeah, that's tough. That I, I hate that. We need to do something about that. Okay. Well, so you've you've taught you told us a little bit about A and M. What I mean, what happened there? What were some of your accomplishments? Because I know, brag, please brag on yourself, Maggie. Because if you don't, you know, I'm going to for you. Yeah. Okay. So um, it wasn't always easy. I will say that. So when I transferred from Nebraska, I had just gotten fourth at the um, NCAAs and I had thrown for two years. So I was definitely projected to win nationals um, in 2015. Had a horrible year, horrible. That's when I had transferred to a and I had gained some weight. I just like wasn't throwing well. And essentially my coach was trying to break down bad habits that I had. He was trying to mold me into a different um, javelin thrower that he knew would help me long-term. So minor, uh, kind of pains. This is what I I actually posted this on LinkedIn today, but small pain for future gains. So I was going through like kind of a minor pain now for hopefully bigger gains later. Um, So horrible year ended up getting ninth, which is the worst place to get because you don't score any points for your team. And we ended up losing the NCAAs by like three points, which were definitely my points. Um, So then came on my revenge tour. I call it my Taylor Swift revenge tour um, in 2015 summer to 2016. I had no idea what was going to happen. And I'm so thankful for my coach, Chico, personal coach, because after I had gotten ninth, I was sobbing and he put his arm around me. I remember exactly where we're sitting. And he said, Maggie, I promise you, you will be NCAA champion and you will throw 60 meters. To put this into perspective, no woman was throwing 60 meters in college. Like that doesn't happen generally. And was so far from that. I was still like 51, 52 meters. I was like, there's no 
first meet of the year, 2016, I threw 60 meters. I like broke the collegiate record in my first throw, but I stepped on the line a hair, but every coach there was like, that was a 64 meter throw. And so from that point, I, I mean, God truly just blessed that whole season. And I ended up winning every single meet. I set the SEC record and then I went on and set the collegiate record and then I won the trials and I made my first Olympic team in 2016. So it was such a crazy year. Wow. That, that is, that is so awesome. I love how you spent 90% of that talking about like the hard things you did and then said like, yeah, I got the collegiate rest of the SEC yeah. record. Yeah. <laughs> well, because yeah. the hard thing was the propeller, right? Like that was what drove me to work my butt off. I mean, I lost like 20 pounds that summer. I was in the gym every single day. It, I mean, it, I wouldn't have had the success in 16 if I didn't go through the failure in 2015. Mm. Well, it's, it's really cool to hear how you had that, that, that failure or that hard moment. Yeah. Cause you were breaking down those bad habits. And I think like you're, you're super gifted and talented and you're going to, you would be successful at Javelin no matter what, but it was like that act of like pruning some of those hard things. And I know in life, like that's definitely something that we need to do. Um, and a lot of times it takes somebody else coming in and allowing them to give us some sort of feedback and say, Hey, maybe we need to work on this. So that's really cool that your coach had you kind of break everything down and start over. <laughs> yeah, I, I hated it in the moment, but and I really doubted it. Like there are so many times of like, why did I come here? Like this was the worst mistake I've ever made. And now I'm like that. I mean, he's a second dad to me. He's truly one of the best people in my life. Wow. Okay. So you won the national championship, set the female collegiate record. That was probably pretty fun, right? It was awesome, and it was more fun because my sister was also on the team with me. So, again, so thankful for God's provision and moving my family there. So she was a javelin thrower also, and she ended up getting third that year too, which was, I mean, no – she was a sophomore, and she was throwing farther than I was. Like, not at that time, but, like, as a sophomore, she was kicking my butt. And so we got to do it together and both had our best performances on the same day with our family there. It was one of the best experiences of my life. Oh, that is so cool. I actually didn't know that. That is, Wow. Good yeah. for her and you and your family. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that. Okay. So you, you qualified for the Olympics. Um, let's kind of shift into Olympic journey now. Yeah. So never ever was on my radar in my entire life to be an Olympic athlete. I think I was like voted mo like Olympic athlete from my tiny town of less than 2000 people, one stoplight, graduated with 38. So like tiny town. This was never anything that I ever thought that I would be doing. And so now I'm thrown kind of into this professional world, which I didn't know how to navigate, didn't know existed. And also at that time, didn't have a great relationship with Jesus. And, you know, talking about what we said earlier of me feeling like all of my results were indicators of who, what I was worth. And I was definitely feeling that. So during 2016, um, went to the Olympics, didn't perform well, was like the worst I had performed all year. And I crumbled from that. I felt like I had let everybody down. I felt like I was nothing. Like I never belonged on this stage to begin with. Like it just was kind of a, such a low moment for me of um, just, you know, self-worth and, and where I felt like, I was worthy. And from that point, 
you know, I was tired too. I had been training for a long time and wasn't ever expected to continue my training. I thought I was going to be done after four years and go on with life. But now I'm in this world of, hey, you could make a career out of this. So, and there was a lot of expectation. And in 2017, I ran into some injury. And at that point, I was like, you know what? My mental health is nowhere where it needs to be. I feel so depleted. I basically was like, you know, when I would walk into a track, I would start getting panic attacks. It was that bad at that point. I just was, I couldn't do it. I couldn't throw and took some time off and basically was like, never going to throw a javelin again. I'm fine with it. It's all good. Um, but would still work out. I was getting my master's and thankfully in 2019, uh, I started dating my now husband, Sam, and he was also training for the, uh, for javelin. He was, um, my teammate. He was like, you know, I don't think you're done yet. I think you should try for 2020. And I was like, I don't know. Like I haven't thrown in a long time. I was feeling so much better about myself. And I felt like I had done the hard work of figuring out who I was and not putting my performances attached to that anymore. And so I was like, I know I'm a healthier person. Sure. We'll, we'll try it. Um, Which then led to to me. Um, reaching out to a coach who lived in Birmingham, Alabama. And I asked him, you know, would you be willing to coach me? But also, you know, I had always had this idea of creating a group because there's a lot of training groups for sprinters where all of these Olympic medalists come from because it's a group environment. It's great to train with people. And there was nothing really like that for throwers. So I asked him if he would be willing to start a, a group called USA Javelin Project. And I had reached out to about eight different athletes to, and convinced them basically to move to Birmingham. (laughs) Um, And we all moved to Birmingham, Alabama. And yeah, obviously COVID hit. We don't have to go through all that. But um, 2021 ended up having the best season of my life. Um, I had a personal best in every single meet that I threw in. And let me just put this into perspective. I was hoping to like, maybe throw what I did, maybe throw like 60 meters again. Cause I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen. But in that, in that time, especially during COVID, I created a team around me. I had a technique coach. I had my husband who's programming me. I had my, um, my strength coaches, my nutritionist, my mental coach, my physio people. So I created a team because I looked at LeBron James and Tom Brady and I was like, they have teams and they're really successful. How can I do that on a discounted budget? So <laughs> created that and ended up at that time set the American record. It's now been broken by my friend Kara, who oh was so I could not believe she broke it, but I'm so happy for her also. It was hers originally. It had stood for ten or twelve years. Um, but super excited for her. She just retired, got in on her last season, and also it motivates me. It's great for the sport because now I have another goal to go for. So I'm hoping to get it back. <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, you're going to get it back. We all know that. Um, but hey, Kara, you're, you're amazing and we love you, but yeah. Maggie is the goat. So and I, I think it's so cool how you said, I need a community because I imagine that helps with um, accountability and motivation and encouragement and all of these things. And I think like in life, whether you're an athlete or not, we need we need community, hopefully at work. That's what Maggie and I get to do. We, we, we get to provide like leadership development at companies and it's in the context of community. You need that in your life, whether it's like at church or with your family or friends. 
Um, but like to, to, to really get to where you've gotten and then to go even further, you need that, that group of people around you. I imagine you're probably, you're probably never going back from that. If anything, you may even add like another coach. Can I be like your cheerleading <laughs> coach or something? Absolutely. Only if you wear crop tops and mini skirts, but yes. I have no problem with that. Um. <laughs> no, I, I would agree though, because I mean, as you know, and we always say iron sharpens iron. And so I, I knew that to be true. And I'm very thankful for those people who I, I got to work with and, um, and train alongside. And I am excited for the future to the team that I have now, because it's changed a little bit since 2021, just with different circumstances. I'm back in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is my home state and working with um, a coach that I really admire and who was also kind of a mentee of my college coach. So just to kind of have that line um, makes me proud of the team that I get to work with and really excited to hopefully get the American record with this team. Ah. Uh. Well, I believe in you. We believe in you. Um, and would you mind giving us an update on, on I mean, because you went to the Olympics yeah. again. Uh, yeah, just tell us about that experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, so qualified, uh, won the trials again in 2021. And um, at that time, had the third best throw in the world going into the Olympics. So I went in um, really excited and really kind of expecting to get a medal. Um, I'd had a good enough season where I felt like things were lining up. I went into the first day and, um, sorry, Sam's bringing me food right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. My husband, that's, he's so great. Um, so went into the first day, uh, because it's a two day event and, uh, hit the auto qualifier. So me and the one other girl who had thrown farther than me that year, she and I were the only people that hit that. So I'm coming into the finals and I'm thinking I'm getting a dang medal. I know it. everything's lining up. I worked so hard for this. I felt good. I felt confident, but the finals is something I had never experienced. And now after talking to um, javelin throwers who have won world championships or have been in that situation, they they've said to me, like, it kind of takes practice um, to go through a final. Like you have to feel the final a couple times and know how you're going to respond to it. Cause it's a different pressure than anything else. Like the prelims are very different than finals. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that to be true because I'd never experienced one before. And now it, when I look back, I'm like, man, I would change things. I know how they work now. So I would adjust how I would have approached that competition. And you know, you don't know what you don't know. So I ended up getting 10th, did not throw well, uh, actually had probably the farthest throw in my pre or in my warm up. Um, so through like 60, 67 in a warm up throw. And then the way the Olympic Olympic final works is there's a lot of rest time depending on your order. So from that last throw to when I threw again was 35 minutes. And I just kind of lost the rhythm and the feel of it because I didn't know what to do during that time. So now I know, okay, here's how I'm going to approach it. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and I feel more confident going into the next one. And also it sucked so bad. I cried a lot. Um, but I do know that I am okay. And I don't think 2016 Maggie would have been able to feel that and say that. So 
I'm very proud of the person that I've come to and worked to get to and worked for to say, hey, my result is not an indicator of who I am. And that sucked, but that's not who I am. Yeah. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing that. I know that it was a, a, a tough experience and like, I cannot imagine what it's like being in an in, in, in Olympic final. I <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I just, Maggie and I just had the opportunity to, to speak on, on grit, um, how to build gritty leaders, how to be gritty yourself. And it really grit comes down to passion and perseverance uh, for long-term goals. And like Maggie is the definition of that. Like there's been bumps Ooh. in the road, but you're just not giving up. And for what I'm hearing you say, it sounds like as much as you love Javelin, once you're able to detach your identity from <laughs> your results, it seems like your things have gotten yeah. a lot better for you. So much better. And I think that's what I felt in 2021 too, because you know, even working with WildSpark, I felt so loved, um, not because of what I was doing, but because of who I was and I felt invested in and poured into. And, you know, I really missed that with the team. And I know that that was a huge part of the success and having family around because Sam's family's from Alabama. And just, I know that athletics is what I do for fun but it's not who I am and I have something else to go back to that I really enjoy. And I think because I had that, it took the pressure off where I was like, well, mm. we'll see what happens this weekend. It's supposed to be fun. I'm throwing well, I feel lighter and not as like anxious. So I think that all the back end and stuff was eating the success for the javelin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a, that's a great mindset shift there. Well, um, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, where, where can people, I mean, I, I know you got an Instagram. Where, where can people find Maggie and learn more about you? You can find me on Instagram. I'm Maggie Biagi. Um, Y'all know I love A&M Giggum. And two, Hampton challenged me to be more active on LinkedIn. So I am uh, trying to post daily on LinkedIn. I take off the weekends, I'm going to be honest, because I need to rest. But Maggie, uh, Maggie Malone on LinkedIn, and I will, you know, what I've been trying. Stories. That's what Hampton said. Just share stories of what you're going through. And that's what I've been doing. Uh, I love it. Well, I told Maggie, I'm like, give it. I've been doing this for a year and give her like three months of this. And she's going to just have so many people like, and I'm going to be asking her questions about how to do it. Um, okay. Well, Maggie, this is where you're going to make fun of me and I'm going to lose you. But you know, the title of this podcast, wake up and lead. I've been ending all of them with this. I want you to tell everyone to wake up and lead. So I'm going to say it's time for you and me. And then you say it. So it's time for you and me to wake up and leave. Yes. Okay. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> All right, folks, time for your action steps. Number one, if somebody calls out potential in you, be curious and lean into that. It's oftentimes something that someone else sees in you that you don't even see in yourself that could be a big breakthrough for you. Two, have an adult conversation. I'll leave it at that. Three, be a team player. You're not going to regret that. Four, be gritty. Maggie is so gritty. You know I love grit. Come on, you got it. And then five, detach your identity from what you do. And by the way, I'm just going to say this. Even though Maggie's identity has nothing to do with her performance in the Olympics, she's going to win the gold in Paris. I'll see you next week.